Well, let me ask you a question that's in keeping with what's taking place in the church of Corinth. What does it mean to be truly spiritual? What is it that makes a person truly spiritual? I hope that you're not too puzzled by the question, because Paul has already answered it for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I know that was quite a ways ago when we were in chapter 2, but, but this is what he said. He said, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Truly spiritual people are those who have received the Holy Spirit of God. Well, how can you tell if someone has received the Holy Spirit? What are the signs of a person of the Spirit? Do they have amazing experiences in their worship? Do they do amazing spiritual things for all to see? Can you pick out the super spiritually gifted ones from from just the old run-of-the-mill spiritual people? You know, the ones who say Jesus is Lord and spend their time doing things at church. Well, that's the question that Paul is going to answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, which is our text this morning. So let me set the context for our text. Paul is still in correction mode. He's correcting something in the Corinthian church. And, and he's correcting things that have to do with the worship gathering. We, we learned that back in, in chapter, um, excuse me, chapter 11. He, he began talking about things going on in the worship gathering. And he's going to talk about things going on in the worship gathering from chapter 11 all the way to chapter 14. So, so again, that's kind of the context that we're in. And as we look at the flow of his topics, just as he started talking about the worship gathering from 11 to 14, look at the flow from, it began with the Lord's headship in chapter 11, and it moved to the Lord's supper later in chapter 11, to the Lord's gifts, which we're going to look at today, and then to the Lord's body, which we're going to look at next Sunday, and then to the Lord's love, if you peek ahead, in chapter 13, and then to the Lord's day worship, that it is done decently and in order in chapter 14. That's kind of the flow as we work our way through this section. And, and there are more sections. As we, as we slice the pie like that, then we, then we slice the pie into some smaller pieces uh, because Paul is going to d- dive into this new topic in the first half of chapter 12, the topic of spiritual gifts. But the lessons that Paul is teaching about are more than these gifts as we've seen him do in the past. It's about a bunch of other stuff that has to do with the hearts of the Corinthians and how they're looking at themselves and how they're looking at others in the church. If you want to take your sermon outline and follow along, uh, you'll see this theme. By God's grace, we are people of the Spirit. By the Spirit, we confess that Jesus is Lord. Through the Spirit, we serve one another in love. And in the Spirit, we have been made one body. So let me read these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various gifts of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of God. So verse 1 begins with now concerning spiritual gifts, and this this is Paul's way, we've seen this before, of moving to the next topic. It seems that the Corinthians have written Paul about pneumatica, we talked about that, spiritual gifts. They are called spiritual gifts not because they are spiritual in nature, though they are, but because they're given by the Spirit. Here are the gifts given by the Spirit. But what prompts Paul to say, I don't want you to be uninformed about these gifts? Because they are acting as if they are uninformed about these gifts. It seems that many in the church were super focused on these gifts. And they valued some gifts higher than other gifts. Of course, they always valued their gifts more than others' gifts. And so those who had the better gifts considered themselves more spiritual than the others in the church. It's the same mode of operating as we've seen in the church from the beginning. Same song, different verse. And it becomes clear in chapter 14 when we get there that the gift they value most is tongues. What a flashy, attention-getting gift when misunderstood and misapplied. And that's the gift that Paul's aiming at. So he's just, we're just in the warm-up phase right now. It's tongues that Paul is aiming at, but he begins with a far more basic and controlling understanding of spiritual things in general for us here. He's setting the groundwork. He's grounding us in our understanding of spiritual gifts. And he's grounding these spiritual gifts in something far greater and far more comprehensive than the gifts themselves. The Corinthians were uninformed when they were pagans. You see that? See how he wrote that? He sneaks that in there. Before they came to saving faith in Christ, they were lost in their foolishness, following false gods in this world, being led astray by idols made by human hands that can't even talk. They're just stone and wood. And in this way, their hearts cried out, Jesus is accursed. They live their lives not following Jesus, but following these idols. And in that way, their lives said, Jesus is accursed. 
The same is true of us before we believe the gospel. By the way we lived our lives, not submissive to the headship of Christ, but submitting to our own desires, we lived pagan lives. By serving only ourselves and not others, we worshipped various idols. You know them. Money, sex, power, prestige, position, whatever they were, you can name them. Even by ignoring Jesus, our hearts shouted, Jesus is accursed. Because Jesus is a stumbling block to unbelieving Jews and foolishness to unbelieving Gentiles, and we were one or the other of them. And in our unbelieving pagan state, we were uninformed. This is what Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he does not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But now, we have the mind of Christ. So everyone who has the Spirit of God, and only those who have the Spirit of God, no longer say that Jesus is accursed. They say Jesus is Lord. Paul says your past experience will misinform your understanding of the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us exactly what we need to understand. Isn't that helpful? In this passage on the spiritual gifts that we're all really excited about getting to in verse 8, Paul says, therefore I want you to understand that for those who are in the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. That's your takeaway. That's your takeaway. Before mentioning a single gift, Paul grounds our understanding of the gifts given by the Spirit in the lordship of Jesus Christ over his church, which is us. You see, your spirituality is based on where you stand with Jesus Christ. If you think he is anything other than the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and your eternal Lord, then your spirituality is false. And your life says, Jesus is accursed. But if you say Jesus is Lord, it is because his Holy Spirit dwells within you and makes you declare that which is true about him. And he has given you his gifts of grace to serve his church. Those two things are true. Why does Paul first remind us of our pagan past before talking about the gifts of the Spirit, which they had written him about and he said he's going to talk about? Why does he slip this in first? To remind us that Jesus is Lord and that we submit to him. You see, it's, that's the implication. If Jesus is Lord, we submit to him. Because it seems that the Corinthians are not submitting to the Lord with respect to spiritual gifts. As with everything else, they used spiritual things to puff themselves up. And rather than serving others with their gifts, they judged others as having inferior gifts and therefore an inferior spirituality. So this is another correction. First, by grounding the gifts in the lordship of Jesus Christ and not in the recipients of the gifts. That's key. That's key. And that's what Paul's doing here. And then he goes on to say some things, approach these gifts, beginning in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all 
in everyone. What a sentence. In verse 1, Paul tells the Corinthians he's addressing the topic of pneumatica. That's the term they used for spiritual gifts. But Paul goes on from now on to refer to them as charismata, grace gifts. And I think it's significant. I think it's significant in revealing how Paul thinks about the gifts and how he wants to inform us about the gifts. They are not only from the Spirit. They are also from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are also from God the Father. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, Blessed Trinity. You see that in this sentence. And look at the breadth of the understanding that this gives us. All of the grace gifts, all of them, are covered by all three persons of the one God. There is a diversity of different gifts, but they are all given by one Holy Spirit. And there's a diversity of services rendered by these gifts, but they all serve the one Lord, Jesus Christ. And there's a diversity of activities performed with these gifts. But whatever activity is done is to be done by the glory, for the glory of God our Heavenly Father. So Paul refers to them as grace gifts, gifts by the grace of our triune God that will serve our triune God because they are powered by our triune God. So why do the Corinthians put forth the Spirit with these gifts? Why did the editors of my ESV Bible put forth the Spirit with these gifts? The heading on chapter 12 in my Bible says spiritual gifts. And, and why does Paul himself put forth the Spirit with these grace gifts, which he clearly does? Well, there's no real surprise here. It's not because they're all mystical and they have to be rendered to the Spirit. It's because after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And from there, on the day of Pentecost, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, God the Father and God the Son poured out God the Holy Spirit upon the church. And from that day to the day Paul wrote this letter, to the day that we're reading this letter here now, until the day that Christ returns, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God and the power of God in the church. We know this already. And Paul is setting this pattern for unity in diversity to correct the Corinthians' uninformed misuse of the grace gifts. They see their individualism over the community. The many and various grace gifts are seen in many different services to the church and in many different activities in the church. Just as there are people in the church performing many different services, attending many different activities, and the same triune God empowers them all. The Father, Son, and Spirit don't work against each other. Neither are the people in the church supposed to work against each other. They work together and in harmony with one another. They have different roles, but they remain one. The Father planned our salvation. The Son did the work of our salvation on the cross. And the Spirit applied God's salvation to our hearts through faith and repentance. They are not across purposes from one another. They don't divide. They unify. And in the same way, 
There is to be unity in the church among the different roles we all have and the different ways we all serve and the different activities we all participate in and the many various outcomes that are manifested through the diversity of gifts that we have received. And they all build us up as we refuse to let them puff us up. This makes total sense. This makes total sense. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Who has one of these grace gifts? Each one of us who's in the Spirit. Some may have more than one. Praise God! Because they're for building the rest of us up. I hope you have more gifts than I do. Because we need the help of the Spirit. They are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the church. That's pretty exciting. They are not a manifestation of you. They are not a manifestation of me. Think about that for a moment and give thanks. Each grace gift manifests the Spirit in the church in various wonderful ways, which are all for our common good. Isn't it obvious by now that God cares about his church? And so he wants each of us to do what's helpful, what builds up, what seeks the advantage of others, all to the glory of God. Grace gifts are not about you. They're about God. Grace gifts are not for you. Not to make you feel special. Not to make you feel superior. Not for your own special personal experience. They are for others. So what are they? What are the gifts? See, only now, after laying that foundation, only now does Paul list a few of them that are operative in the church in Corinth that they would recognize. And that's our context as we go into verses 8, 9, and 10. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, the various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, any questions? Just wonder, any questions at all about these spiritual gifts here? Of course you have questions. We all have many questions. Because frankly... There isn't much here. Oh, there's a list, but there's no explanation. There's no details. There are no instructions on how to use these gifts. Let me say a couple things here. I'm not going to try to answer all your questions about spiritual gifts in this sermon. I want to be faithful to preach 1 Corinthians. So we're going to let Paul's instructions unfold. We're going to let them build to his final answer at the end of chapter 14. We want to we work through chapters 12, 13, and 14 as we find them in 1 Corinthians. And that's going to take four or five sermons. Holy moly, we're in the spiritual gifts until we start giving Christmas gifts. So please be patient. 
Please be patient as Paul's argument unfolds, as his treatment of spiritual gifts unfolds. Second, I might be, I might be convinced, I'm already conceiving of a topical sermon on spiritual gifts, kind of a more systematic approach, uh, after we finish chapter 14. That may be helpful. That may be helpful. So we're thinking about that. But I want to say a couple of other things right now. I'll develop them later. I won't develop them today, but I'll develop them later. I think it's only fair that I tip my hand. First, I believe that tongues refers to known languages. And I believe it refers to known languages everywhere it's found in Scripture. And I hope to support that as we move along. Second, I do not believe that all of the gifts listed in Scripture are operative in the church today. And at some point, perhaps in an extra sermon, I'll explain why. So let me just ask you to remain patient as we work our way through 1 Corinthians, and hopefully all your questions that can be answered will be answered in time. So back to these verses. Wow! (laughs) Healing! Miracles! Prophecy! Tongues! And this is the passage many of you have been waiting for. This is really exciting stuff. And yet, notice how little Paul says about them. Other than listing them, he says almost nothing at all. That's a hint that the gifts themselves are not the main point of Paul's instructions. Also, this is not, by the way, an exclusive list of the gifts that we find here. There are other lists in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Paul adds a few more gifts at the, at the bottom of chapter 12 here in verse 28, and no two of the lists are the same, but there is a lot of overlap. And Paul lists these gifts that we're looking at as representative of the gifts operating in the church in Corinth. That's why they're relevant. That's our context. The list ends with the gifts that Paul is aiming for. He's going to further address prophecy in tongues, especially tongues later in chapter 14. So he begins with wisdom and knowledge, and I think Wisdom and knowledge are meant to be taken together to represent the gift of teaching. Here's why. The gift of teaching is in every single one of the other lists. It's, it's glaring that it's missing here. For it to be missing is, would be a significant oversight. It's such a significant gift. Also, the word translated utterance in the ESV, if you were reading along with me, is actually the Greek word for word. It's logos. It's, it's the word for word. And the word of wisdom and a word of knowledge makes strong connections to things Paul has already written to us in, the, in this letter to the Corinthians regarding teaching. In chapter 1, Paul calls the word of the cross the wisdom of God. And he says that Christ crucified is the knowledge of God. So he's already, he's already defined some terms for us. So I think this is the grace gift of teaching to build up the church in the gospel. The gift of faith is not, the, is not the same thing as saving faith. Because saving faith is granted to all who have the Spirit. Uh, but this is only given to some. It seems to be a remarkable or extraordinary faith, like, like the faith that moves mountains that Paul describes in, in chapter 13, verse 2. Or, or perhaps a prayer of faith that makes the spiritually sick well in James chapter 5, verse 15. It's some extraordinary faith. This gift of faith may accompany the gifts of healing and miracles. Seems like that would be a sensible thing. The apostle 
The apostles had the gifts of healing. In Acts chapter 3, a man lame from birth asked Peter and John for alms. You remember the story. And in verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk. There was no question that this man was lame. And that now he can walk. He leaped into the air. It was, not a, it was not a situation where the man said, oh, I, I think, I, yeah, I think my headache might be gone. Or uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure my back doesn't hurt quite as much. It was healing in Jesus' name. And it was recognized immediately. And it was full healing. Restored to full activity. And it was healing in Jesus' name that got the apostles in trouble. Not the healing. Everybody agreed the man was healed. That's the gift of healing. Miracles is a pretty broad category, isn't it? Well, it's hard to put guardrails on that. This may be, uh, this may apply to the many instances of the, the apostles casting out demons. We see it in the Gospels. We see it in the book of Acts. Uh, another may be when Paul restored Eutychus to life after he had fallen to his death in Acts chapter 20, verse 9. These are some healings, or these are some miracles done uh, over nature. The gift of healings is pretty nonspecific here. I believe that prophecy here refers to direct divine revelation that is then spoken. I think this is not the same as preaching. Sometimes in Scripture, the word prophesying means to the same thing as preaching the Word of God. But in chapter 14, Paul describes prophecy as divine revelation to an individual that is then told to the group. We might look to Acts chapter 11 and the prophet Agabus, who seems to be an example of prophecy in the New Testament days of the apostles. Distinguishing between spirits seems to be the ability to discern what is true from what is false. In Acts 5, Peter was able to discern that Ananias and Sapphira were lying to him about what they had given the church from the proceeds of the sale of their property. Peter, Peter was just able to distinguish that. It's paired with the gift of prophecy in chapter 14. The two, the two kind of go there. Although today we have the complete canon of Scripture from which we can discern truth from error. Tongues is the ability to speak human languages that you have not learned. At Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's a purpose for tongues, to proclaim the gospel so that others would understand it clearly in their own language. In order to make sense of the gift of tongues, it needs to be paired with the gift of interpreting tongues. So who were the interpreters of tongues at Pentecost? The intended hearers were the interpreters of the tongues spoken. Perthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia said to the disciples from Galilee, we hear you telling us the mighty works of God in our own languages. The necessary interpreters and the intended were the same as the intended hearers. They're one and the same. Tongues are a grace gift for building up the church. They're not a spiritual parlor trick for puffing up a church's worship service. All nine of these grace gifts, tongues especially, 
are not for you. They're for others. They're for others. Paul doesn't explain the gifts at all. Because the gifts are not Paul's point. These gifts are just the examples he uses to correct the church's division over gifts. The one spirit gives the many gifts to the many members of the one church. Look at those, look at those verses again. To one is given wisdom. To another is given knowledge. To another is given faith. To another is given healing. Each member is given a gift. There's this diversity of gifts in the body. He doesn't choose the gift. The spirit gives it. We see that. Wisdom is given through the Spirit, and knowledge is given according to the same Spirit, and faith by the same Spirit, and healing is given through one Spirit. It's not your doing. It's the Spirit's doing. It's not your choice. It's the Spirit's will. There's no room for boasting. So stop it. See, Paul's correction to the Corinthians' uninformed misunderstanding of the gifts is to inform them of the right understanding of how different gifts are given, but the same Spirit gives them all. And the Spirit does so for the common good, so that the church would be built up in love and harmony. Not just a melody, but the full sound of complementary notes orchestrated in rich beauty. Play your note for the welfare of others. The sound of your note does not make you more significant than others, nor does it make you less significant than the other players. Just play your note, and the Spirit will be manifested among you for the glory of God. You see, grace gifts are really not about you at all. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And here's what you need to know about the grace gifts. The Spirit gives them. All you do is receive them. The Spirit wills which gift is for you. You just participate in that. And the Spirit is the power in the gift. It's not your power. The Spirit is the power in the gift, and His power is for the good of the church. Notice, by the way, that the Holy Spirit is not some invisible force or power. He's a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He dwells in you. He blesses you so that you can then bless others in the church. Now, if you're still having trouble understanding the unity of church with the diversity of gifts, if you still have not accepted the idea of community over individualism in the church, then Paul drops verses 12 and 13 on you to further inform your misunderstanding to help you better understand not the gifts, but the church. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
Every member, every part of the human body is interconnected and interdependent on every other part of that body. But it's one living body. It's the same with Christ's body, the church. Each of us is different. Each of us has received different gifts. But all of us are one body, Christ Fellowship Church, just as Paul is writing to the local church in Corinth. And we are one because we are one in the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist told the crowd, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. At the moment of conversion, every believer is plunged into the Holy Spirit of God. Every believer receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Every believer participates in the Holy Spirit and in the body of Christ. We see the community over the individual because we see the body over the members. Not instead of, but over. We remain individuals, but as members of one body, the church. This is God's design. And God's grace gifts operate within God's design. Even the church is not our body. It's Christ's body. So drink of the fullness of the one spirit. What a picture. Imbibe of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and live as one body. That's what Paul is teaching the Corinthians. What might he be teaching us? Well, let me touch on three things that I think might be helpful to us this morning. Recognizing that all of your questions will eventually be answered in time. Perhaps not by me, but when the Lord Jesus returns. One way or another, here's what I think we need to look at today. One, I think we would be greatly helped by demystifying much of what we have heard and been taught about the practice of spiritual gifts in modern American evangelicalism. I'm just showing you my cards. Spiritual gifts have been hyped up, pumped up, sold to us. Like the Corinthians, when we hear that the Spirit is handing out spiritual gifts, we get really excited. I want to get in that line because the Spirit, here's what I think we think. The Spirit's different from the Father and the Son. I think we think that often. And, and if the Father gave me a gift, what kind of gift would your Father give you? It, it'd be something that would help me to obey Him, and that's good. I want to obey the Father, and, and, and I need help doing that. What if, what if the Son were to give you a gift well, it would probably be something to help me serve him because he is Lord and I'm to serve him and I need help doing that. But because the Spirit seems different, wouldn't it be cool to get a supernatural gift? Isn't it fun to get a, a gift that you want instead of a gift that you need? Wouldn't you rather unwrap a PlayStation than a pack of underwear on your birthday? But the Holy Spirit is like the Father and the Son. 
They are one. They all give these gifts. So we need to understand that he gives us what the triune God wants to give us. Paul helps us to understand why we should want the gifts that God gives and that we don't have to over-sensationalize them or make them into something that they're not or think that we, we need to have something else other than the Spirit to make us spiritual. That there's more. Paul says, here's what, here's what are the marks of a spiritual person. They say, Jesus is Lord and they serve the church. And sometimes we just want, I don't know, something a little flashy to put on. Some bling. I think demystifying the spiritual gifts is going to help us. Not harm us. Help us. Two, another problem we have is that when we hear spiritual gift, we think spiritual power. Admit it. The Spirit has given me some, something spiritual? Like, it, like, is it a sword? We hear spiritual gift, we think spiritual power that I now possess. It's not Paul's fault. It's not the Bible's fault. I mean, how often do you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in order to read verses 1 to 3 where the, where the gifts are grounded in the lordship of Christ? Never. We go to verses 8 to 10 where there's an inventory of the shiny gift list and we daydream about which power we want to be ours. I wonder if I have that power. I wonder if I have that power. My friends would think that power's cool. You see, just like the Corinthians, we kind of want to feel special in an individual way. That is, we want to feel more special than our brothers and sisters, and we want them to see it. Just a little bit. But the grace gifts that we receive from the Spirit are not about us. This is completely wrong thinking because we've just been told that they're not at all about us. They don't give us power. They manifest the Spirit's power for the good of others. And Paul doesn't even explain how the gifts work that way, only that they do. This is how they work. There are clues in Paul's words that he has used. Here is what I want you to understand, he says. Jesus is Lord. The gifts have everything to do with Jesus is Lord. The power in the gifts is God's power and the Spirit's power. The gifts operate completely under the sovereign power of the triune God. And they are not for you, but for the Lord's church. Well, you know, this demystifying is bringing me down just a little bit, Scott. I mean, can't I feel special at all? Oh, poor you. You see, a wrong understanding of the spiritual gifts often promotes discontentment and rivalry. That's what the Corinthians show us. We don't want to pick up Paul's teaching of the spiritual gifts in Corinthians and end up more like the Corinthians than Paul. But that's the tendency of much of modern-day evangelicalism. A wrong understanding of the spiritual gifts promotes discontent and rivalry. Dear believer... You here this morning, brothers and sisters, are you special? Of course you are. 
God created you specifically in his image to bear his likeness on earth. When you sinned against God and were deserving of his wrath, he sent Christ to remake you in his righteousness so that you would be fit to live with him forever. By faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you're a new creation. He has given attention to you and made you his workmanship. And now you've been given a new family. You're the church of God, sanctified in Christ, called to live in fellowship together with Christ. And the Spirit is working in you, the church, to manifest himself through you by the grace gifts for your good. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, how much more special do you have to be? You see, the spiritual gifts are not here to make you feel special or look special. Paul's rightly informed understanding of the spiritual gifts is not a killjoy, it's a correction so that you would see the true joy that you have in the Spirit. He's the gift. You are special in God's eyes. That's not the problem. We need to see God as special in our own eyes and in our own hearts and keep our focus on him. When he gives grace gifts, your part is to receive them, which you have, and participate in them by serving and acting for the benefit of others to the glory of God which is what Paul has already explained to us that we're to do anyway before we ever got to chapter 12 and the grace gifts. None of that has changed. Which leads me to my third and final takeaway. And it's the question that's burning in your minds already. I know that it is. I'm not a mind reader, and I can't call this prophecy. I just know that it is. How do we discover what gift we've been given? How do we discover what gift we've been given? Well, whatever you do, don't take a spiritual gifts survey. I don't care if anybody hands it to you. Don't go online and Google one. They're horrible. They will sell you the Corinthian misunderstanding rather than freeing you from it and pointing you to Christ. They will make you introspective and self-promoting. Instead, remember, the Spirit is made manifest in His gifts when we do what? Serve the church. They're for the common good. So let's do that and find out what they are. Don't worry about whether you like doing this service to the church, or whether you'll be thought well of for doing this church service to the church, just find out if there's a need in the church that you can serve and ask, how can I be helpful? If there is a need, go meet that need. And over time, your gifts will become clear to yourself and others as you serve. You will not find your grace gift in private. You must serve the body of Christ. Lastly, rejoice. Rejoice. Because God's great gift is the Spirit himself, whom he has given to you. 
<laughs> we could almost skip over it when we read this passage, but we dare not. Christ, the, the Spirit has applied Christ's salvation to you. The Spirit is the presence of God in you and in this church. And he's the power of God for you in this church for your good. We are one in the Spirit and we prove it when we say Jesus is Lord and when we serve Christ's body, which is the people sitting around you, the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we understand that you have given to us every spiritual blessing. We rejoice that you have given us your very spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to get over ourselves and to serve one another and to do all to the glory of God that the Spirit might manifest himself among us and do us good. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.